When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. Cue the Hard Knocks instrumental music. We're in training camp of the ECHL. Yeah, I, I, we need some music. We need ECHL training camp music. I think it will have like a revolving door or something for all of the guys that are kind of coming in and out. Uh, I say that as I'm covering a camp with 38 players in camp. How many, 38, are, tri- how many of those are tryouts? 38 players. Um, like three? Um, not that many. So, I mean, to set it up, so, you know, Fort Wayne is having a mass rebuild here. New coach, uh, new way of doing things. And so he had basically brought in about 25 guys or so. And then you have some last minute guys. Like one of them is a local kid named Parker Rutherford, who's going to play right federal league. So he's a local kid, which is fun because it gave me something to write about. It gets all the local fans um, really excited, but you know, great kid. I mean, it's one of those cases where, you know, he's got no chance of making the team. He's here. But he, he's, he's here one for, of the tryouts. He's one of the tryouts. Uh, but then they have, if my math is correct, they have eight guys right now from Bakersfield of the AHL. Okay. And, and then a couple last minute signings. So the number just kept growing and growing and growing. And so I actually spent today trying to find out is this the largest camp that the Comets have ask. ever had? And the answer is no, it is oh. not. In okay. 1991, they had 42 players. Now, okay, but ECHL, is it the longest? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So okay. 1991 largest. was old International Hockey League. Mm-hmm. That was the first year that the current owners bought the team. So you could sort of see like they, they were trying to just get their their bearings and you know have a whole you know rebuild the team at the time so that made a little bit of sense i couldn't find the year i think it was 2014 i think they had 36 players and that was also kind of a rebuild mm-hmm. but you know it's just it's just wacky like you know fans keep asking me well, well how do they look you know who looks good it's like I can't tell. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's so many guys. You know, maybe you see them skate right. on the ice once or twice. They had to cancel. Uh, they were going to have like a three-on-three scrimmage day. They canceled that. I I didn't ask why, but I'm assuming it's because how the heck are you going to do a three-on-three scrimmage with 38 guys on one sheet of ice? Five-on-five, five. do a full game. Yeah, that's what I I think they should have moved it over to the practice facility where there's three sheets and they could have just you know done something wacky over there. Wait, but. I got to stop you. You're talking about a rebuild and I get it. New coach and everything, but like how much different is the typical roster turnover where you have a couple guys that are coming in and the rest are kind of interchangeable to 
what a rebuild would constitute. Like that seems like a weird term to me. Maybe I'm looking at it too literally. No, I I think you're on to something great. Like because every year in the ECHL, well, yeah. everybody's rebuilding. Um, there what are, are some teams. Well, there are some teams, and and Fort Wayne is certainly one of them that every year they bring back a strong nucleus of players that's usually about 10. And these are guys that have been here for multiple seasons, kind right. of know the the Fort Wayne way, if you will. Um, so they don't have any of those guys. They've got only five players who have ever worn a Fort Wayne jersey before, and I think only two players who have been here for multiple seasons, Sean Sidlowski is back. Um, I don't remember if we talked about that on the yeah, show, but did. he's that would be his. I think this will be his tenth season. So when I say rebuild in Fort Wayne terms, I just mean you know we don't know who any of these guys are, right? And, and they none have, of them have played for the coach, or maybe some of the new ones, but none. Of them only a couple of them, and maybe this is a more staggering number than thirty-eight guys in camp. Twenty-two of them are rookies. Yes, he does. You buried the lead. That's pretty crazy. Okay. So, yeah, there's a lot of crazy stats I could uh, uh, throw around. So, you know, I'm getting a lot of fans who the same people who just a month ago were, you know, ready to to burn their comic gear in effigy because they were so mad that they're, all of the guys from last season were going to Europe or they couldn't resign them. Now the same people are like, oh, is this the most talented team they've ever had? You know, what do you think? And And now I'm like going the other way, like, I was telling them a month ago, don't panic. This is going to be a much different roster. Now I'm saying don't get too excited because in my experience, yeah, you can have 22 rookies and you can have eight guys that scored, you know, 35, 40 goals in major junior. But I have seen more rookies with great resumes and then they get to the pro level and they just fizzle out because you, you just don't know, you know, are they going to be able to hack it at this level? Uh, are they going to be able to deal with the physicality? The biggest thing is conditioning, you know, the rigors of an ECHL season where you're playing three and three nights every week. So I'm telling them, you know, it's got a lot of potential, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you this is the most talented team because we have to see how they play and you got to see which team he picks. And, you know, when you've got these eight contracted guys, like I said, like that can also be scary because what happens if they pick their team and then five of those guys get called up you know, before October's done. And now all of a sudden you're like short on bodies, mm -hmm. which I've seen stuff like that before in the ECHL level, but it's just, it's unlike, I think any training camp that you would see at the AHL or NHL level, the stuff that you're dealing with and the amount of bodies and, and things like that. If there is a fan that was ready to burn a Jersey based for an ECHL team, based off roster transactions in the summer, you deserve a medal and you can come on the show. That's insane. I must have gotten 10 messages uh, or like from 10 messages from 10 different fans through the course of the second half of the summer telling me they were not renewing their season tickets because they were so upset that Oliver Cooper and Mark Russell, guys like that were not back. And I agree with you. I'm like, well, you can't be much of a fan if you're going to cancel your season tickets just because they didn't bring back the nucleus of a team that lost in the first round each of the last two years. But 
at this level, and you know, and we we'll talk about this probably later. You know, your your marketing is about more than just winning. You know, like you want guys that are going to show up at the season ticket holder party and yeah. are going to be nice to your kid. And so, when you have a nucleus of players that do that type of thing, I, I do understand. Like, you get a little bit nervous. Are there going to be community guys? But yeah, I mean, you just you can't make any judgment about a team at this level until they've actually played some games. You know, like. Who knows? You know, like some team like South Carolina could be sitting there right now thinking they've got the greatest camp of players ever. And then guys get called up and somebody defects to Europe. And then all of a sudden you're like panicking. You know, it's just it's just the way of life at this level. For sure. All right. So today we want to talk about things that we learned about the ECHL from the 2023 offseason. And I think the first thing that's on our minds is a lot of young coaches in this league and it kind of begs the question, like, is previous head coaching experience like no longer a prerequisite to being a coach? Obviously, um, you know, you can be an assistant and whatnot, but like usually we hear a lot about at hockey about needing that experience as being a, a head coach and running your own bench. But I don't know. I wonder if that's changed over what we see in the offseason. I, I think it has, um, you know, so many times through the years. Uh, I would see coaching changes, not just here, but in, in other cities. And and you would ask, you know, what are you looking for in the next coach? And they would always say previous success as a head coach. Mm-hmm. And usually they would hedge it and say, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be at this level, but you have to be a proven winner somewhere. Mm-hmm. SPHL, college hockey, you know, something like that. But now, and and you know, going in the last year when this show first started, we were a, a little bit kind of blown away. I think at all these coaches that have been brought on who had no head coaching experience. So guys like Chad Costello and Allen, Pete McArthur and Adirondack, uh, Jordan Lavallee Smotherman and Worcester. Uh, these are guys that I think had a lot of success last year. Uh, Joel Martin in Kalamazoo. You know, he had been an assistant coach. And he certainly knew the community, but he hadn't been a head coach before. Mm-hmm. And now this looks to me to be one of the real up and coming teams in the league. Um, if I could pick any coach to coach my team, if I were starting a team tomorrow, an expansion team in, uh, you know, let's say Winnipeg. Okay. <laughs> or Lake Tahoe. Or, or Lake the Tahoe. One, but yeah, well, sure. If I could have anybody, I mean, near the top of the list for me would be Brendan Kotick in South Carolina. Uh, who's got very limited uh, head coaching experience. He had no head coaching experience before he took over in South Carolina. But I look at him and I'm like, man, that that guy's done a great job. He played for some great coaches. So even I have sort of changed my thinking because I was certainly one of those guys that would sit there and type into my computer like, okay, need a new coach. I'm going to put together a list of the big names and all of them had coached somewhere before and had success. So I think even I have, have changed my thinking um, I don't know why this is, you know, that's, that's the big question. Why have ECHL teams changed their thinking? So, you know, just this summer, you know, we see Derek Desbitt, um, taken over in Atlanta without head coaching experience, uh, Newfoundland. Hey, Newfoundland finally announced the coach at Gallers, uh, Matt Cook, uh, unless I'm missing something, I don't think he has any coaching experience at all. He did. Uh, yeah. He coached in Minnesota high school hockey. Okay. Okay. So high school hockey. Um, well, but just to stop you there, Justin, I wonder if, because we talk about a lot, how being ECHL coach is 
obviously mainly you're coaching the team, but that there's other elements to it. You kind of the, you're usually a huge part of the hockey operation. I wonder if when you're weighing it, it's like okay, maybe this guy's a better coach in the SPHL, but we don't think he is capable of doing any of this organizational stuff. And when I say organizational, like organizing or whether or just operational um you know overhead and stuff so maybe that can slide the scale and, and tip the scale in a certain player's uh, coach's direction even if they don't have that head coaching experience yeah i mean if i'm understanding like like chad costello and allen would be a good example like he's somebody that had been there the fans knew him yeah the fans loved him and so if you're owning that team you're probably like you know what we're gonna sell some tickets we're going to have faith that he'll figure out the things that maybe he didn't know yet about the logistics of being a head coach and we'll figure it out. And pretty seamless. Um, I can go back to a story in Fort Wayne from uh, I guess it was, it was 2013. Uh, There was a guy named Gary Graham and Gary Graham was from Fort Wayne and very much uh, worked his way up through the ladder, started as a high school coach in the area basically begged the Comets to take him on as a volunteer assistant. And then we're now all of a sudden he's the, an assistant for Al Sims who had coached in the NHL. So Gary Graham was here for several years. And when Al Sims moved on, um, you know, there was, I'm stopping myself because maybe I'm forgetting the history, whatever. It's not important. The point is with Gary Graham is they, they were not going to give him the head coaching job until he got some experience as a head coach. So he went to the SBHL for one year and he got the experts and he won a cup. So that certainly helped things. Um, But when he came back here, he was a different guy because he had been through it at that level. He had, you know, the stuff you have to deal with the SBHL is, is maybe even crazier than what you do with, at the ECHL in terms of call-ups and losing players or whatnot. So he came back here as a much more well-rounded type of coach. So there's just definitely two schools of thought on that. Um, mm. I just think we're leaning more towards the Chad Costello school of thought. Yeah, for which, sure. You know, who cares? You know, they'll figure it out. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, there's, there's lots of different things. You know, you look at Toledo and Pat McKesh is the coach there. And, you know, he's been a head coach for a long time, but he hasn't been a head coach in the ECHL. You know, he's been head coach at junior. So that's a whole different, you know, can of worms in terms of what you're dealing with. So I'm sure one person could say, well, you know, he's got all sorts of head coaching experience, but it's not pro head coaching experience. He's never dealt with this, with the call-ups and the the three and threes that we're going to be dealing with. So is there any difference between Pat McKesh who's got tons of head coaching experience, but not in the pros and a guy like Derek Nesbitt, who's never been a head coach. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't think so. And I think we're, we're starting to see that we're starting to see, you know, what the, the positives outweigh the negatives, the positives being, you understand the league, you mm-hmm. have a rapport with the players, you're young, you're hungry, you know, the community, you know, what's involved. And maybe that outweighs whether you have paid your dues, if you will, as a head coach. I don't know. I still like a guy with head coaching experience, but I've softened. I've opened up my mind a little bit more to these other guys because we're seeing so much success with them. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, again, you know, Chad Costello, you know, got to the second round last year and and had all these players, Hank Crone, guys like that, that were amongst the best in the league. So 
that tells me maybe it's not such a big deal anymore. I don't know. So I, I was the next thing too is the three tier development system. So I was at Winnipeg Jets training camp, and then the Moose were just having to be practicing, and I went across the hall, just like kind of glancing, and uh, I went on my phone and looked at the roster sheet, and I kind of realized that I didn't recognize a lot of the names uh, as as Moose players. I recognized them from our show, but I didn't recognize like that they were even really affiliated here or whatnot. And then it dawned on me that this was pretty much we were seeing a tune up to Norfolk's Norfolk, training yeah. camp. And I was like, okay. And then sure enough, as the cuts came out, it was exactly what I thought. Like a lot of these guys that were there ended up being down in Norfolk that I, you know, didn't think we're going to be with the moose and whatnot. And, you know, Fort Wayne too, right in your backyard. There's a lot of people. How many you say, was it eight that are from Bakersfield? I believe it's eight. Could okay. Be so a more, that, it's eight, that's a lot. Like there, there's, yeah. there's a strong affiliation there with Edmonton. Clearly, um as a league as a whole is this the strongest we've seen the three-tier system kind of universally i think there's a lot of reasons to think it is um you know to your point i feel like nhl teams are feeling not that they ever had pressure to do this before but they're not feeling any urgency to cut guys and send it down to the ahl so that the ahl has guys for their camp like i i, I feel like that used to be kind of important but now Wait, oh, oh you mean during camp you mean during camp. yes so using yes. edmonton totally. bakersfield fort wayne is it like so bakersfield had all these guys from fort wayne guys on echl contracts guys on ahl contract so like what's the rush you know edmonton hmm. take your time like we're okay down here like we got all these guys from fort wayne so i think it's easier on everybody at the nhl ahl level to have streamlined this a little bit to have a better relationship um, it becomes a little murkier as you put together your team at the ECHL level. But there is more fluidity, if you will, between players going to camp to camp and there being this close relationship. I mean, you look around the league, uh, there's only four uh, NHL teams that do not have ECHL affiliates right now. It's the St. Louis Blues, who I, I have always been told just are not big believers in the necessity of having a team at this level. Like they'll just spread their few guys around to teams wherever they see fit. Uh, Columbus always been a little bit dicey. Arizona doesn't have one right now. And Carolina, which we've talked about, um, you know, they'll. They have a shared they, one though. Yeah, they have a, they have a shared one. Uh, so the fact that they're, uh, our only four teams without ECHL affiliates tells us a lot. They're getting more invested in the process. But if you're asking me, are we anywhere near baseball and that three-tiered system? We got a ways I, to go. I, we got a ways to go. And I think you know my feelings. I don't want us to get all the way there because mm -hmm. that means that the NHL teams would basically be owning uh, the ECHL teams. And that scares the heck out of me. Uh, I still think you want local ownership because you want winners. You want the community stuff. Some of that gets lost when you are owned by the big leagues team. But yeah, we're seeing, we're just seeing a lot of cohesiveness, a lot of communication. I mean, you can tell um, that these ECHL teams are talking a lot to their AHL affiliates and teaming up almost on how they're going to put together the rosters. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to use the Florida Everblades as an example, because I, I did talk to Brad Ralph last week and I was like, Brad, I'm 
I'm having a little hard time trying to figure out who's actually on your roster. Um, like, and the example was Cam Johnson. Like, so I'm assuming Cam Johnson's going to be with you, but there's like nothing that definitively tells it. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, he'll be here. You know, him and Evan Cormier will be here. And it's clear he had talked with the affiliate. They knew the plan. Who's mm-hmm. going to be where? Who's gonna, this guy's going to be in the AHL? This guy's going to be in the ECHL. And of course, it can change with injuries and play and whatnot. But ten years ago, that wasn't going on. You know, like teams were jumping around to affiliate to affiliate. It was the rare team like Toledo and the Red Wings that were really on the same page. And it feels now like almost everybody's on the same page. Almost everybody's got a young coach that's real dialed in with the AHL team. Some of these coaches are going and helping to run the AHL camps. So Fort Wayne's Jesse Kalicki, he went to Bakersfield. He was helping Colin Chalk run drills and whatnot at the AHL level. And that means you've got a good marriage. You've got a good relationship. And another thing is if you really look at it, a lot of these, uh, I don't have clear data. I'm just kind of guessing here, but a lot, a lot of these affiliations are multi-year affiliations and it, I feel like 10 years ago, a lot of these were just year to year deals, you know, like, yeah, we'll team up this year and we'll revisit in the summer if it worked out. But now you can sort of look at it. And Andrew Zardinowski, who was on this uh, show, he does a nice little table of affiliations on his social media. And it tells you, to the best of his knowledge, how long some of these contracts run. And it's it's informative because it tells you, okay, Mm -hmm. well, they're they're Norfolk and Winnipeg are locked in for X number of years. And it used to be just a year-to-year thing. So right. I think we're getting there. I know that's a really long answer, but I think we're getting there. That's what everybody wants. There are still holes. I would say officiating is a big hole. Like I would like to see more cohesion between the AHL officials and the ECHL right. officials. But so that's a whole other. Of a, yeah, yeah, but, but we brought, brought up baseball. I mean, you never hear yeah. anyone talk about that in baseball. Like True. why is the umpiring uh, sort of disjointed from the umpiring at the at Lake Elsnore compared to Fort Wayne. So, uh, you know, I do think it's important, um, mm-hmm. and you want your your prospects protected. So there's still some some holes, but you know we're getting there, and I think that's what everybody wants, and that'll be good for hockey overall. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Is the ECHL trying to get rid of fighting and should we care? Yes, and I think yes. And let let me use this opportunity to uh, refresh some people. I actually got some emails saying, hey, can you remind us what some of the rules changes are this year? So this is a good opportunity to do that because some of them pertain to fighting. Um, One of them is about helmets. Uh, This year, if you lose your bucket, you can grab it and put it back on rather than having to immediately leave the ice. And you can play with it the rest of the shift without the chin strap unfastened. Uh, obviously, if you can't immediately get to your helmet, you got to leave the ice. But that was a big sticking point for some people. Uh, but when it comes to fighting, it'll be an automatic game misconduct now if you get a second fighting major in the same game. 
So we are used to seeing guys fight more than once. Mm. Uh, that they are trying to get rid of. Now, if on the second fight somebody instigates it with you and they get an instigation penalty, you're you're not ejected if that happens. Uh, but those nights of seeing, um, you know, uh, whoever, you know, the uh, Mikhail Robido, you know, fight two, three times in a game, they're trying to get rid of that. Um, if we talked about this during the summer, I still don't know how they're going to adjudicate this. But if you start a fight prior to or right at the drop of a puck or immediately following the faceoff, you get an automatic game misconduct. I don't know do how, mean, how. How do you not adjudicate that? It's pretty simple. Well, who's to determine a fight immediately following a face-off? Like, how do you judge that? That's that a stage is fight. A, but it's subjective. No, it's I mean not. everything's. It's a, it's a stage fight. You know what a stage fight is. A fight that's not stage happens in the heat of the battle, and then you drop the mitts. That is a stage fight. You're just fighting to fight. It's hockey, not combat warfare. I agree with you that a stage fight would, but I can see situations where two guys are lined up. They're kind of tussling a little bit. The puck and then drops they drop the and then instantly? they fight. That's not a stage fight to me. That's something That's that is so incited mythical. because of the face-off. You, you're going to tell me you can't think of situations where a fight would be caused by the face-off itself. Well, I guess I'm going to agree with the ruling here that like, you probably shouldn't have fights that are caused by a two-second thing in the face-off. Well, oh, I'm I glad mean, you said two seconds because I was thinking, like, like what's the time meter that goes? Well, is it two seconds? Is it five seconds? Like, I what? think that what I think the uh, margin of error that you are pointing out, I, I, I recognize it, but I just I think that anything off the draw is typically like nine out of ten of those instances are probably stage fights. So. Okay, but why is this necessary? Like, why why is this a necessary change? Like, why is yeah, a fight? Each, yeah, it's back to the root of the question. Are are they trying to get rid of fighting? You said yes. Well, yes, they are, and 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 I you but this we would know, do that. No, we know you're in favor of it. I'm against it. No, this I know, a, but you're saying what's the a, point? That is state. I think they're doing that to get rid of stage fighting. I I, I agree. Nine with out you of ten instances. Off the draw well, would be that. Uh, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna write this down, and we're gonna get back because I guarantee you there's gonna be a situation this season where somebody gets ejected for a fight off a faceoff that was not quote unquote staged, and people are gonna lose their minds. It's hard for me to describe what it's gonna be other than two guys start kind of tussling, like they're they're bumping shoulders at the faceoff, and they get fed up and they fight. And it's going to be right after the faceoff, and that to me does not seem staged. And if you lose Sean Sidlowski, who likes to fight and is a top line potential player, because of that, I could see fans being like, "What the heck is going on here?" Well, then why is he fighting? That just happened because he's a fighter because he he fights. I mean, right. there are a lot of top line players in the ECHL still who will drop the gloves. I'm that's but fine, I, but there's got to be there's got to be guardrails. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're gonna if you're trying to make it as they're trying to do less if they're trying to reduce the amount of fights you have to do things like this you can't and also what i think it does is it eliminates the coaches putting out like line matching to to create a, a fight which is i mean as old in hockey as time itself so we so you what you're saying is we can no longer look at the starting lineup see that guy is starting all his tough guys 
and we can't match suit because what happens if they maybe fight three seconds after the opening faceoff? I know you're right. I know I'm not saying you're wrong in any way. I just want you to know that. What I'm saying is I don't like the subjectivity of this particular rule, the way it is written. You can't fight Text at the Joe, drop of the puck. You. Oh, I, I think we texted about this when it happened. So what does he say? What's the what's <laughs> the is it? I don't remember. I'm sure I'm sure he's totally in favor of it. Next no, time we but have I mean, like, there's it. probably a, a written out parameter for the subjectivity. There's probably something that says what they're trying to constitute as that. I'm just reading a press release. I, I just think I it that. makes it makes me nervous. We're putting a lot okay, of faith in the, in the, the Sam Heidemans of the world. No, to... but if the puck is dropped and then I don't even know how this would happen, but mm-hmm. someone gains speed and within like two seconds, there's an open ice hit leveled out. Obviously, if someone fights there, like that's not going to be ejected because of that. I am interpreting this as if you're if the game is starting off the draw, there's been zero. There's been like no time of the game you're at the draw and you do a stage fight you will be ejected that's how i'm going to interpret it i get what you're saying and how you're taking it and as you should you're a journalist in a literal sense but i would assume that's what they're trying to do i think you're 100 percent correct uh i guess what i'll leave you with on that subject is i think that you're putting too much faith in the chl officiating and and i'm just saying there will be a situation it's going to happen <laughs> and yeah. I'll be there because I'm always there for these things where all heck is going to break loose because they toss a guy and 99% of the building is like, that was not the spirit of this rule. But, but that's Justin, what makes me nervous. That's going to yeah. happen. We're also talking about a league where there isn't re- instant replay in every single net and there's not net cam, right? Even the age, like there's, there's still a bit of subjectivity in so many elements of the game. So adding another one, like how many instances is going to happen where it's going to, change the course of a game i would feel better about it if they said this was a reviewable play and they could look at it and, and determine whether this was a stage this fight. that would actually make me feel better let's shelve this until this inevitably happens and you tell me i'm wrong i love how like like fighting is the one hot button issue that i could get like you kind of riled up at me it's just so stupid i don't get it what my defensive fighting no no i think fighting is i think advocating for fighting so much um I find to be just, I don't, I don't see an element. That's fair. And and it probably comes across that way. Like, I don't want a, I don't want a gong show out there. That's not what I'm saying, but I do get fearful that we are going to eradicate what I see is still a very important part of the game. We're going to totally eradicate it. And I don't like that. And I don't like it for the game and I don't like it for selling tickets, but I get you. Uh, A couple other just real quick rule changes, though. Uh, One of them is uh, handling the puck on face-offs. So if you now um, attempt to win the puck by batting it with your hand or sweeping it or something like that, um, it will be enforced as a hand pass now, and play will be whistled dead. And offsides, they have now changed to align it with the NHL and hard to explain over the air, but they will now um, be considering the plane above the blue line uh, now for offsides. It's just making it more in line with the way they call offsides at the NHL level. You mean, you have, mean like the, the border of it? No, like, like now you can, I mean, I could read it to you, 
Um, I'll be confusing more. Just break it down for me. Yeah. uh, They are now defining your own side of the blue line as a plane. Um, So in other words, before they were talking about the way your skate was on the ice, like you could, but now they're talking about that, that theoretical plane that goes above the ice. Don't worry about it. They're just, just think of it this way. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. We're going to do it it. like they do in the NHL. I got it. Um, okay uh that's rule changes, rule changes i want okay to that is so, all. you mentioned it before but newfoundland finally has a coach they announced it on saturday and it is longtime nhl player matt cook um i think that this brings about does the echl care about announcing transactions with fans and whatnot we saw it at various points throughout the offseason and of course you being around the league for so long it's nothing new the transactions are announced not a timely um, or necessarily um, newsworthy fashion. Some, or it's it's done in a way that benefits them in getting the news out, but it's not always up to date and current and instant. Yeah, I just think, you know, if I were to get in a room, as somebody who actually teaches this stuff at the college level, if I were to get in a room with the ECHL people, I'd be like, look, you all need to get all of your member teams on the same page when it comes to releasing information. Now, Certain markets are different than other markets, but when you're sitting there in Newfoundland, I can't imagine what a Newfoundland fan season ticket holder was thinking all this year, all this summer. I mean, you don't have hardly any player signings till late September. You don't have a coach until the weekend before training camp opens. You look at Trois-Rivières, if you went to their website, you know, a week or week and a half ago, they had literally zero signings. And I was like, what's going on? But then if you look at their Twitter slash X account, they were announcing it all there. And it's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, why would you only announce your news on that particular social media platform? There are most teams, of course, they know most of their team. They piecemeal it out. I'm just mm-hmm. saying you have to remember, we can't say in the same breath that it's all about the fans and then not let them know what's going on with the team. I'm not saying that teams can't do go it their own way. But you shouldn't, any reasonable fan should be able to go to the ECHL website in September and go from team to team and figure out who's going to be on those teams. And as somebody who got paid to try and figure that stuff out, if I couldn't do it, the fans couldn't do it. So I just think they need to get into a room and streamline the announcing of important information because you are doing yourself a disservice. I mean, Fans in Fort Wayne, they know what's going on because they got media. They got a good team announcing this stuff. But fans in some other markets, I mean, whew, it was hard to figure that out. That just that was a real lesson from this offseason for me. And then we also learned that uh, the ECHL doesn't care too much about Justin's geographical concerns because they have a team in Lake Tahoe, and that makes you upset. That does not make me upset. Not it upset. makes me a, it makes me a, it makes me a smidge wondering about the Turned. geography. Now, the talk is certainly cooled about Utah suddenly getting an NHL team, but it's it's still out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I look, I, I'm gonna I'm older than you. I can remember the old international hockey league and what brought it down. And something that brought it down was it became a nationwide league. And the travel costs went up. Mm-hmm. The all the cost of just doing business. And I can remember 
two years ago. Granted, it was pandemic, but Fort Wayne put on, I don't remember the number of miles, but it was the most insane number of miles anybody had ever come across in minor league sports in the travel. So I just, I look at the map now and I just get a little tiny bit concerned. You know, Newfoundland is off on an island and this is not their fault. The pandemic happened. Things with ownership happened. Everything changed. But think about the amount of money it takes to get teams to go up to Newfoundland uh, and deal with that. Uh, when they went into Trois-Rivières, I thought that was going to be, you know, great. Um, you know, I don't know. You know, Brampton's not here now. Are they going to have more Canadian teams? Are we just going to markets for the sake of going to markets? Um, there are things that have happened that I think are great. Iowa, new ownership. But let's also remember, Iowa, this is their third season, okay? Mm-hmm. They averaged 1,851 fans last year. That's your second year, okay? I mean, that is not boding well to me. So, you know, that was always a market that was like, okay, Iowa, all right, I'm sure it'll make sense to me later. Uh, Atlanta, that's in a big market. They're always complaining about not getting enough coverage. So I'm just saying, like, there are ownership changes. Ownership changes can be very good. We've got new ownership in Allen. Uh, I think Iowa, that's going to strengthen it. Um, So I'm not concerned about ownership changes. I think these are great as long as you have the right people doing it. You know my feeling. You want local people that understand the markets, um, that aren't operating it from afar. Um, you know, they are boots on the ground, know the fans. Somebody comes in the office, my season tickets are messed up. You can deal with it. You know, as long as that's going on at this level, I'm great with that. But, you know, we're continuing to expand and that's fine. That's great. I just hope that they are doing it with the right due diligence, not just is this a strong market, but are they going to have anybody to play? You know, what's it going to mean for travel for other teams, not just in the regular season, but in the playoffs, you know? Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Um, Before we sign off, let's do coast to coast, Justin Cohn's news notes, quotes, and everything in between. Well, so speaking of the Allen Americans, I wanted to, uh, to note this. So NFL player, Miles Jack is uh, in the ownership group, along with his mother, LaSonia. This is awesome news because it helps. It's a different ownership group. Uh, Miles Jack is has uh, its visibility. Miles Jack is involved with some other ECHL teams, but I did want to note this because it it stopped me in my tracks for a second. This is a little look behind journalism, if you will. So they sent out this release, and the Allen Americans boasted that these were the first African American owners of a professional hockey team. And when this happened, I was like, God, that just doesn't feel quite right to me. So I made sure I attributed it to them and I posted it. And within two minutes, I heard from a reporter who I've known a long time and trusted. He was absolutely right. No, there had been a black owner of a professional hockey team. It was in the Central Hockey League. It was a famous athlete named Herb Washington. Herb Washington owned the team in Youngstown. I heard a funny story about Herb Washington. I'll just give you real quick. Herb Washington owned a chain of McDonald's, and I guess they had some promotion that if the team scored six goals, everybody would get a Big Mac. And so they had five goals, and they pulled the goalie. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Now, I, now I, I thought I thought it would have been funnier 
if they pulled the goalie and that got the owner mad because he was like, no, I'm going to have to give away all these big backs that I didn't want to. But I was told, no, no, he was, he was on board with it because he would Love get it. them in the, in the store. But I just, I like, <laughs> you imagine like, like, I don't know, like, like who would be mad about that? Like maybe is the goalie mad? Like what you're going to pull me with, with like a, a five goal lead. So I thought that was funny. Um, Steve Martinson, one of the all-time great coaches in minor league hockey, won a couple cups in the ECHL with Allen, won some cups in, I believe it was the West Coast League. I uh, thought this was interesting. He's now coaching women's hockey at Roosevelt University in Illinois. He said, quote, I'm really looking forward to being back home and coaching the Roosevelt women's hockey team. I've been involved with women's hockey since my daughter played AAA hockey in Texas. We're looking to build the program and put Roosevelt women's hockey back on the map. We want to play a puck possession style of hockey that will be both entertaining and fun to play. End quote. This is interesting to me. Steve Martinson was definitely in the mix for at least one head coaching job that I can think of in the last two years in the ECHL. But if you know, Steve Martinson, he coached very physical teams would have tough guys. I love the idea of him coaching women's college hockey. Uh, I, I almost want to tune up a game. So good for him there. And one last thing I wanted to mention because it's interesting. Toledo has signed goaltender Rylan Peranto, who uh, was big on Sports Center, Sports Center last year, had an amazing what we call Scorpion save. We might have even showed it on this program. Uh, so he started last season with Toledo. He ended up getting cut because they had so many contracted guys, Sebastian Costa, John Letheman. He ends up going to their chief rival, Fort Wayne, ends up being their number one for a spell, and then shares the net with Ryan Fanti. And you'll remember back-to-back weeks, they were leading Sports Center with the Scorpion save and then Fanti having his goal or his fight or both. I don't remember. The Comets had his rights but relinquished them. Like they made him a qualifying offer, but then they just relinquished his rights. And then he signs with their big rival, which is Toledo. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I've already heard from many fans, why the heck would you relinquish his rights, thus allowing him to go to your big rival? I don't have a great answer to that. I mean, get something for him, get 50 bucks, get a bag of pucks. I don't know. I'm sure they're saying he was a good soldier. We didn't want to stand in his way. I appreciate that too. But man, if he comes back, and he ends up like shutting out Fort Wayne in October. Whew, I'm going to have something to write about. Jerseys there. will be burned. Um, but for what it's worth, I think their goalies are probably going to be Lethemin and Jan Bed- Bednar. That's what I've heard from a couple places, not Sebastian Kosa. Uh, so either way, no matter how you cut it, whether it's Scorpion, Bednar, Lethemin, good goaltending with the walleye this season. Absolutely. That's my coast to coast. Love it. All right. Well, that's it for today's show. We'll be sure to catch you next week. Cue the hard knock music. We're in training camp. Enjoy, and we'll dive into that more next week. Thank you for listening.